my wife Sandy bled badly, and it put the baby's lives at risk. And during one of those more harrowing experiences, uh, I penned a booklet just to kind of process through the situation. And I'd like to start off by reading you uh, part of what I wrote down in, in those moments, um, because that, that kind of stuff, that scary stuff, that hard stuff is, is part of the journey in life. Um, so I want to share that with you. So your baby most likely will not make it. Few, if any, adjectives meet the response to such a statement. Fearful, terrified, dejected, alone, numb, tired, they all fall short. I felt hollow in the gut. It was almost as if my adrenaline had spiked like it never had before and then crashed so hard that it not only left me, it left the room. Almost as if everything of genuine vibrancy retreated from our small part of the globe. How does one deal with that? Turn to the wall and pray. In 2 Kings chapter 20 and Isaiah 38, Isaiah the prophet came to an ill king Hezekiah and told him, put your house in order because you are going to die, you will not recover. The text says, Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed, Remember, O Lord, how I have walked before you faithfully and with wholehearted devotion and have done what is good in your eyes. The text then says that Hezekiah wept bitterly. And before Isaiah had even left the palace, God graced Hezekiah by promising to add 15 years to his life. So in ancient Jerusalem, Isaiah told Hezekiah, Get ready, you are going to die. On January 27, 2009, in Camp Hill, Pennsylvania, the doctors told my wife and me, get ready, your baby is going to die. What better way to respond than to turn to the wall and pray? I, too, like Hezekiah, gasped for the mercy of God, so I lay down upon my bed, as in the convertible hospital chair. I rolled toward the wall, and I begged, God, let us see your mercy. And James 5.16 asserts, the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. That means prayer acts, accomplishes, and accompanies. Prayer binds, breaks, and battles. Prayer conquers, caresses, and cures. James does not make a claim of possibility, but of reality. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. So on January 27, 2009, an armored battalion under the banner of prayer was making its way toward heaven to fill up on grace-filled ammunition and then return to earth. And as with the mercy of God, we did not know what form the conquest would take, or if we would take some shrapnel in the process, but we knew the power for great things was there. And that is where I turned at the end of one of the scariest days of my life thus far. Rest. And then came the morning. Were the prayers effective? Sure they were. The Bible tells me so. Was the mercy there? Sure it was. The Bible tells me so. But I must hold back in revealing the effectiveness of the prayers and remind that God is God regardless of the events. For now we will not dwell on how God showed his mercy, nor how the prayers were effective, but on the fact that God did show his mercy and the prayers were effective. Let's dwell on the fact that I can talk to God. Can you say that with me? I can talk to God. If you please turn to Matthew, the book of Matthew, chapter 6, we're going to see how Jesus talks to us about what it means to talk to God. Matthew chapter 6, just two books ahead of where our scripture reading was this morning. 
And this is a passage, we're going to be starting in verse 9, reading verses 9 to 13. This is a passage that I'm sure many of you are familiar with if you've grown up in the church. Uh, some of you may be less familiar with it. Maybe you've heard it at a funeral or a wedding. And some may have no idea, uh, never heard of this passage before. So let me read it to us, and then I'm going to make sure we're all on the same page with, with what this is. So Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 9. Jesus said, Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let me pray for us this morning before we dive into this. God, we thank you that you came to us in our weakness and even taught us how to pray, recognizing what the human experience is like and what we need to turn to God for. Uh, so I pray as we go through this model today um, that we not just focus on the model of prayer, but we focus on who we're praying to. And I thank you ahead of time. I pray that you will use your Holy Spirit to, to work through my words to convict and to compel and to excite, and that we leave here as different people. And I pray these things in your great and mighty name. Amen. So, uh, to bring us all to the same page, this is commonly called the Lord's Prayer or the Model Prayer. And it was Jesus' way of teaching his disciples how to pray. They came to us, Jesus, teach us how to pray. But a lot hinges on that word, how. You know, I think a lot of times, so often this prayer is taken as, pray like this, this. These are the statements you need to make. This is the, the wording you need to have. This is the length you need to have. Um, but the problem with that is, is that Jesus is never seen praying this prayer again. And Jesus prayed shorter prayers. He prayed on the cross, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And he prayed longer prayers. The entire chapter of John 17 is a prayer of Jesus. And then the disciples themselves, he's teaching the disciples how to pray, but throughout the rest of the Bible, we don't see any of them praying these words exactly the way that Jesus presented them. I think a better way to take this model prayer instead of pray like this is pray like this. These are things to keep in mind. Jesus is saying these are things to keep in mind. These are some principles I want to give, give you. It should be something like this. In fact, I don't think the primary concern is how I pray. Did I put the, the thee or the thou in the right place? Did I put the in Jesus' name before the amen? Was it the right length? Was I in the right position? Was I standing or kneeling? I think that the primary concern is the to whom I'm praying. The how of prayer stems from the who of prayer. And we're going to talk about that who as we go down through this passage, that who being God. Who is God? So, first verse, verse 9 says, Our Father in heaven, I can talk to the Father. I can talk to our Father. And to me, this really emphasizes the fact that I can talk to God. I have this familial relationship with him, a father to a child. It's not like a CEO to the paper pusher or like a general to the, to the private. This is a father to child relationship. In fact, uh, God has called our Father ten times in Matthew 6, 1 through 18. Now, some of you might be out there saying, 
Andy, God being a father really doesn't conjure up good thoughts in my mind. I, I did not have a good relationship with my father. Uh, my father abused me. My father violated me. Uh, my father never had enough time for me. Maybe for some of you, you don't even know your father. I'd say that that makes it all the more special that God calls himself our father because he's the father that you never had. He's the father that does everything that your father should have. So those nights where you, you hid in the closet hoping that your angry father didn't find you, God's the one who opens the doors and, and picks you up and holds you. And those nights that maybe your, your tears were soaking your pillow because you felt so dirty, God is the one who dresses you in pure white garments. And for those of you that had a father that was business, 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 God is the one who takes time to be with you and listen to you. And for those of you who were abandoned, God's the father who adopts the outcast. And for all of us, whether we had a good earthly father or a bad one, God is the father who cares about our day. He keeps us safe. He's available to talk to. He teaches us. He gives us what we need, not always what we want. He gives us what we need. So sometimes he'll say to you, Andy, I, I want to give you this special moment of happiness because I love you so much. And then in another moment, he might say, Andy, I want to give you this special moment of hardship because I love you enough to train you and to help you grow. He doesn't, like some earthly fathers, myself included, he doesn't overreact and overpunish, or he doesn't coddle. He gives us exactly what we need. I can talk to our Father. Throughout this sermon today, I'm going to refer to several actual prayers from the Bible to show you the variety of prayer that's there. And one of these prayers is in uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 15. If you could go to the next slide, please. Romans 8, 15. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. That's the prayer. Abba, Father. Abba means daddy. Crying out for daddy. More than just the, the best father that you can think of, though, God is our father in heaven. He's, he's powerful. He reaches down to us where we are now, but at the same time, he has all the treasures of heaven at his disposal. And as the one in, in heaven, he is the holy one. I can talk to the holy one. Jesus goes on to say, hallowed be your name. Hallowed, kind of a, a funky word, right? Well, hallowed or holy means set apart, above and beyond. He's, uh, he's above and beyond the everyday stuff, and that's why he can be such a good father. He's a class beyond normal fathers. So even those of us that had good experiences with our fathers, our fathers still had flaws, right? I mean... They, they gave us unreasonable consequences. Uh, they had grouchy days. They had, they had broken promises. They didn't have enough hours in the day to spend with us. But God's beyond. He's, he's holy. He's hallowed. So remember I said at the beginning, we need to remember to whom we're praying more than how we're praying. We have a God who loves us as a true father because his character, his holy character, is true love true purity, true kindness. He is set apart from biases, from weaknesses, from selfishness, from grouchy days. Just yesterday, I was extremely grouchy yesterday. You can ask my family. I failed as a father. God doesn't do that. 
God doesn't do that. And he has the power. Not only does he have holy character, and not only is he hallowed and set apart, but he has power to act upon that holy character. Jesus goes on to say, Your kingdom come. I can talk to the king who has all this power to carry out his holiness and to carry out his fatherly kindness. He is our father in heaven, and he has a kingdom coming. And I want to describe this kingdom to you. If you'd like, you can turn to Daniel chapter 2. It's toward the end of the Old Testament. Daniel chapter 2, I'm going to be starting in verse, verse 31. So as you're turning there, to give you a little bit of background, Daniel has been captured uh, and taken into captivity by King Nebuchadnezzar, but he's serving King Nebuchadnezzar now. And King Nebuchadnezzar, one of the, the most powerful rulers who ever lived, is having this dream that's plaguing him, and nobody can explain it to him. So Daniel comes in, and, and this is what Daniel says. I'm going to read verses 31 to 35. It says, You saw, O king, and behold, a great image, this image mighty and of exceeding brightness, stood before you, and its appearance was frightening. The head of this image was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its middle and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. And as you looked, a stone was cut out by, uh, out by no human hand, and it struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them to pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and all the gold all together were broken in pieces and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them could be found. But the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. So then Daniel goes on to explain that each of these parts of the statue represent kingdoms that are going to rise and fall. And then this is his interpretation of, of this, uh, looking at verses 44 to 45. And in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. Just as you saw that a stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand, and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, a great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. The dream is certain, and its interpretation sure. So, I want you to think about this image a little bit. So there's this statue, and uh, the feet are iron and clay, and then it's different degrees of metal up the statue. And this rock is cu cut out, and it says the rock smashed the feet of iron and clay. So clay smashes, right? You know, you take a flower pot, take a hammer to it, it's going to shatter and smash. But think about the rest of the statue, the, the bronze, the silver, the gold. It says they were broken to pieces like chaff on a threshing floor. Metal doesn't shatter. You might be able to, if it's a thin piece of metal, if you have the right tool, you might be able to tear it, you might be able to cut it, you can bend it, you can meld it, but metal doesn't sh shatter. And this image, this rock is so powerful and it hits this statue so hard that it literally breaks everything to smithereens and it's like chaff that whew, the wind just blows away. And that is the kingdom that's coming. And there's a king who's going to be over that kingdom, and I can talk to that king. Amen? That's exciting stuff to pray about. I mean, does, does anyone else in here have a hard life? I mean, do some really crappy things happen in life sometimes? And yet Jesus is saying, 
Let your kingdom come. It's something we can we can look forward to. We'll be done with this. We'll be done with frozen pipes that leak in the basement. We'll be done with unloving fathers and mothers. We'll be done with, with war and cancer and fear and tears and, and broken hearts. And that's something to pray to the one who can do something about it. And guess what? There's a prayer along those lines in the Bible. The second to last verse in the Bible, they pray, Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. It's not a long prayer. It's not a liturgical prayer. It's just the cry of those who know they live in a scarred world and they're talking to the one who can do something about it. And yet Jesus puts it into perspective. He says, let your kingdom come. But he also recognizes that for now we're still here on earth. So he says, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus, knowing that the kingdom is coming and knowing how powerful God is, he still says, pray in this, while we're living in this earth, your will be done. And he entrusts himself to God the Father for God's will, his plan for the universe. Matthew chapter 10 says this about God's oversight. Verses 28 to 31. And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. God is in control. When Jesus says, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, when he's talking about earth, this isn't like um, uh, some other words in the Bible, like when it says, God so loved the world, the world is the people living in the world. Here, this word for your will be done on earth, it's, it's the entirety of earth. It's not just the people. So it's the people, it's the sparrows, it's the worms, it's the atoms. God is in control of all that. He oversees the operation of all that, and I can entrust myself to him because of that. I can talk to the designer. I want everyone now to, uh, I don't know if we have a lot of dust flying around, maybe find a dust moat in the air, or if not, look at the person in front of you and pick out a single hair, single hair. Take a minute and just look. God's in control of that. God's in control of that. Not a single sparrow falls to the ground apart from our Father's will. Do you see how perfectly balanced God is? He's like a father, but at the same time, he's the holy king of the universe. As king of the universe, he, he has the power to make all things work to his will. But as the holy one, his will is always going to be pure. So we don't have to, to fear him as if he's just going to like suddenly decide, like, yeah, I'm done with you. And as our Father, we can entrust ourselves to his powerful, pure will. And this is seen no better than in one of Jesus' very own prayers. Just before he was arrested, beaten, crucified, killed on a cross, just before he took all of our sins upon himself, the this, this stuff that we were just remembering, 
knowing, Jesus knowing that these things were coming for him, he fell on his face and he prayed, My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, as I will, but as you will. No one has ever felt or faced the depth of sorrow that Jesus felt that night. There is not a person in this room, myself included, who has faced a circumstance darker than what Jesus faced that night. In the book of Luke, it even says Jesus' prayer was so intense that he literally sweated blood. And he knew what was coming. But he talked to his father nonetheless. He talked to the very one, the designer, who had designed the course of history to lead to Jesus' death. The one who had designed that, Jesus talked to him. You know, sometimes our prayers don't turn out the way that we prayed them. Jesus asked that the cup would be taken from him, but Jesus went to the cross. He drank every last drop of that cup. And yet Jesus still talked to God the Father. Jesus talked to God because he is the Father, he is the Holy One, he is the King, he's the designer, and Jesus could trust him. I can talk to God because I can trust God. He is Father, he is holy, he is the King, he designs his will in heaven and earth. He's trustworthy, he's powerful, he's loving, he's wise. And I, like Jesus, can talk to God because I can trust him. But not only is, is God, as the designer, concerned with the great things of, of the universe and laying out the history of the, of the universe and, and of mankind, but I can also trust him with the everyday stuff. Jesus said, give us this day our daily bread. I can talk to my provider. I mean, this is where it's at, right? God and our daily bread. It's not about the size of my house, the blue book value of my car, how, how high I've worked myself up in my job, the, the, the brand name on the tag of my shirt. It's the everyday stuff, daily bread on my table. Do I have life and breath for another day? Isn't it amazing that God who oversees the the implosion of stars in distant galaxies, huge stars collapsing in on themselves. The God who oversees that also cares about the bread on your table. It, we buy our bread at the, the Stroman Bread Store over in West Hazleton. Some of you might be familiar with it. But the store, they sell bread that's close to or at its sell-by date, so you get it for a discounted price. And we can get a loaf of bread for just over a buck. Guess what, though? God cares about that cheap loaf of bread. God provides that loaf of bread. He cares that we have bread on our table. And one of my favorite paintings is, is this one. My grandparents used to have it hanging up in their house, and I, I always admired it. it. left an impression on me. And I'm going to read an actual prayer from the Bible, from Proverbs chapter 30, verse 7. And I want you to imagine this guy praying this prayer. Proverbs 30, verse 7. Two things I ask of you, O Lord. Do not refuse me before I die. Keep falsehood and lies far from me and give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, Who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. Aren't you glad that your daily life, the very meals upon your table, are wrapped up in the oversight of God. 
So for those of us who pray before our meals, let's like, let's really pray. Let's be like, God, thank you. Thank you. There is bread on the table because you put it there. Thank you for taking care of me and my family. And then Jesus goes on and he says, and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. I can talk to the forgiver. The forgiver. We need forgiveness. When we rebel against God, we're robbing him of the glory that he deserves. We're declaring ourselves kings and queens. And we rob God of the glory he deserves. There's a debt that we cannot pay with a, with a check or with a checklist of good deeds. We are thieves of God and we need forgiveness. This is a prayer that all of us, myself included, need to pray more often. God, forgive me. Forgive me for being a thief. David in the Bible is described as a, a man after God's own heart. God handpicked him to be the model king that, that even the Jews in Jesus' time were still looking back to. He, he defeated Goliath the giant, great armies, because he placed his trust in God. And like I said, he was called a, a, a man after God's own heart. And yet one night when he was supposed to be out on the battlefield with his soldiers, uh, he stayed at the palace and he went walking out on the palace. And while he was out there, he looks down and he sees a woman bathing. And this woman, Bathsheba, happened to be the wife of one of David's most trusted warriors, Uriah. And David had her brought to his palace and he slept with her and she conceived. And what's David do next? He purposely sends Uriah to the most vulnerable spot in the battlefield so that he would be killed. So he essentially murders Uriah so that Uriah wouldn't know that his trusted king had betrayed him. And when David is hit by his guilt, he prays this. This is one of those prayers in the Bible I, I was telling you about. David's finally confronted with his guilt and he, and he cries this out. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know, God, I know my transgression and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being and you, you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. But God, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. God, let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. God, hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and, and renew a right spirit within me. God, cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. It was there, God. Restore it to me. And uphold me with a willing spirit. Then, 
Then, when you uphold me, I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with the burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart, O oh God, you will not despise. God, do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in right sacrifices, in burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. David's prayer. I don't think any of us here would deny that what David did was absolutely despicable. And yet, he could still talk to God to forgive him. And did you catch what David said? He said, against you, God, you only have I sinned. And we say, wait a minute, it wasn't against God only. I mean, he violated Bathsheba, he murdered Uriah, and he betrayed the trust of his entire kingdom. But all of those sins at their most basic level are an affront to the Holy One. And yet, even though it was an affront to the Holy One, David conversed with the one whom he had most offended. And David not only talked with the forgiver, but he believed that God could forgive him, even after all of that. When we sin, we spit in the face of God. It doesn't matter how little those acts of rebellion are. Let me give you an example from my own life. Um, the first time I preached this a few years ago, something was very fresh in my mind. I was at work, and um, I was talking to, to one of my coworkers about a mutual acquaintance of ours that had really... Uh, betrayed me and backstabbed me, uh, really hurt me in the past. And um, I thought, you know, I had done the noble thing. I had moved on. I purposely wasn't talking about this person. But in this particular instance, I justified my sin. And literally for half an hour, the slander just came out like vomit. And when I went to my car... Even though that slander had specific human names, and, I, and, and even though I did feel bad for those individuals whom I was slandering, do you know what I prayed? God, against you only have I sinned. Because I felt like I had betrayed my father, the Holy One, my king, my designer. But I could go to him because at the same time, that God is also my forgiver. And I can talk to the forgiver. Now, please don't miss the full thought of Jesus' statement in, in Matthew 6, where he says, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. It's implied that we are forgiving those who have wronged us. And I, I'm sorry I don't have time to go into that in further detail today, but please know that forgiving others is, is just like prayer. It's part of this journey of becoming more like Jesus. The last request in Jesus' model prayer, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. I can talk to the protector. Now, I want to say up front that God does not tempt us. 
James chapter 1 clearly says this, verses 13 to 15. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. So God does not tempt us. God doesn't say, Hey, Andy, look at the way that girl smiled at you and how she respects you as a man. You know, maybe she'd be better for you than your wife. God doesn't say, man, that grief that everybody is giving you just isn't worth it. Go ahead, try that stuff in the syringe. It'll make you feel so much better. God doesn't say, you've been waiting for, for 10 years for your team to finally make it to the playoffs, so you deserve to shut out your family this afternoon so you can just focus on that game. God doesn't say, well, that person shares the same opinion as you about those other people. So go ahead, gossip. God doesn't say these things. God doesn't tempt us. But God will allow us sometimes to be in situations where we are tested, where we will face temptations, situations that will give us opportunity to choose to follow Jesus on the journey or to wander off the path. God does not do the tempting, but there are times where God will lead us into places where temptations exist. And if that seems like a hard concept, two chapters before Matthew 6 and Matthew 4, the text specifically says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit, by the Holy Spirit, he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. So God led him into temptation. And in that text, left for another time, Jesus manhandles the temptation. He, he doesn't cave, but he experienced it. So when we go two chapters to Matthew 6, and he's telling us, pray that you not be led into temptation, he knows what that feels like. He knows how difficult it is, having gone through it himself. So he tells us, pray to your protector. Please don't lead me into temptation, but deliver me from evil. And this also is another prayer that we need to pray more often. So often um, on this journey, uh, we don't pray this. God, God, keep me from temptation. Keep me from evil. Rather, what we tend to do is we pray, God, give me the strength to not make stupid decisions at that party on Friday night. Instead of praying, God, please give me an alternative to that party on Friday night. Instead of praying, God... Uh, Please give me strength not to take second glances at the magazines in the grocery store aisle. I should be praying, God, please help the aisle that I happen to pick to go through be the one with all the cooking magazines. I can take an extra glance at that peach pie on the front cover, right? God, get me in the aisle that doesn't have the pulp cult pop culture magazines. I can be praying, instead of, instead of God praying, um, God, help me not dwell in the negative qualities of that person. Give me strength not to do that. I should be praying, God, help me see the positive qualities in this person. Don't even lead me into temptation. God, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So, God is the protector. God is the forgiver. God is our provider. God is, our, is the designer. God is the king. 
God is the Holy One, and God is our Father. Does that sound like somebody we can talk to? So way back in the beginning of the message, I said that when we were in the hospital being told that our child probably would not make it, we prayed. I turned to the wall and prayed, and we elicited, solicited prayers from people all over the, the globe, literally. And I said at the beginning that in the days ahead, God's mercy was there and that our prayers were effective. But I, didn't, I purposely didn't tell you what God's mercy looked like or how the prayers were effective. Actually, three days later, my son died. But you know what? I still talk to God. I still believe that he is merciful, and I still believe that the powers of the righteous person are effective, and that those prayers that were happening were doing something. You see, I can talk to God because he is God. My circumstances don't dictate whether God is trustworthy or not. God's character says he is trustworthy, and that's who I want to have a conversation with. We get caught, caught up so much in the how of praying, and sometimes we're fearful about it. I'm scared to pray because I don't know how to pray, or what is that person going to think about how I pray? But it's not so much the how, but the who. I have the opportunity to talk to the most loving, most holy, most powerful, most caring, most forgiving, most protective being in the universe. Pray. Have that conversation. Hebrews 4.16 says, Let us come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. As in, let us pray without fear because God is merciful and gracious. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says, Pray continually. As in, pray as you go about your life. There's no magic formula or liturgy. If you're praying as you go about your life, you don't have time for liturgy. You don't have to memorize this prayer and say it this way. It's praying in the moment. So you pray when you get in your car. Pray when the power goes out. Pray when you just ate a fantastic meal. Pray when you can't get the pickle jar lit off. Right? My kids come to me, Daddy, we can't get the Legos apart. We can go to our daddy. And we might not pray, God, help me get the pickle jar lit off. We might pray, God, thank you for this moment that shows me I don't have it all together. And I'm not as strong as I think I am. Pray when you drop your phone in the sink. Pray as soon as someone shares a struggle with you. Stop right then and do it. That's a practice I really try to do. Somebody says, man, you know, I just found out yesterday I have cancer. Let's pray about it right now. Pray as a group of friends in church. Pray for your pastor because what happens up here has no power if there aren't prayers out there. Pray when you have to take the car to the mechanic for the third time in a month. Pray when your neighbor's dog keeps pooping in your backyard. Pray when you had a bad day at work. Pray when you had a good day at work. You know some of my most ecstatic prayers are when I'm with my wife. I can talk to God about that because God designed that. God designed romance. But on the same token, pray when your husband or wife is yelling at you. Pray when your heart just got broken. Pray when you see a newborn baby. Pray to your father when you've lost a child. Pray when your child is living in rebellion. 
Pray if you are the child living in rebellion. Pray when you come to church. Pray when you leave church. And I'm going to give you guys opportunity to add to the list. The whole point is I can talk to God. I can, I can talk to God who is all of these things in one. And at the bottom of uh, your notes there, there's a, there's a spot that says, I will talk to God when. And I'm going to let you guys fill that in with whatever you want. I'll give you some suggestions. When I walk down the street to get my car, when I wake up in the morning, when I do the dishes, when my favorite show is about to start, when I take out the trash, when I go to that funeral this week. Whatever. This is your paper to fill it up. I want you to, to, to answer that question at the bottom. Fill it up with, I will talk to God when. And then after you've had a few moments to do that, um, I'll, I'll let whoever's set to, to close us out come up and uh, close us out. Thanks for listening. This Preaching for a Change broadcast has been brought to you by the Grace Baptist Church of Hazleton, Pennsylvania. For more information, visit us online at mygracebaptist.church. If you enjoyed this broadcast, then share it with a friend on your favorite social media network. And be sure to join us next time for more enlightening and encouraging biblical exposition here on Preaching for a Change.